So, uh, this morning, uh, we continue in our series looking at the parables. Um, Now, I had the slight precarious task this morning of helping Mark put up this parable sign here. And I was actually tempted to put it upside down uh, to be a little bit controversial, uh, because I think um, the passage that we're looking at today speaks of an upside down kingdom a kingdom that's not based on our own understanding or our own self-interest, but instead a kingdom of God. Uh, So it's a real pleasure to be preaching uh, on this passage today. Um, As a little reminder or uh, an introduction, maybe for those of you that maybe you're new or visiting today, um, for the last few weeks we've been looking at the parables in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, In the first uh, week of that series, James, our curate, uh, shared quite a helpful quote in unpacking uh, what the parables are. And he said that the parables are the imaginative way of describing the limitless kingdom of God to people with limited imagination. So I don't know if you regard yourself as someone with limited imagination, But certainly, uh, in considering the parables, I'm encouraged by the simplicity of it and and the the stories that Jesus used then, but also the stories that Jesus uses now uh, to share something of of his heart to us. So, so far, uh, we've looked at the parables of the weeds, the mustard seed, the net, the sheep, and the unmerciful servant. And these parables touch on different themes of God's limitless love, Uh, what can come from seemingly small things, calling and going after the wanderer, and God's unconditional love. It's interesting also to note that these parables touch on, uh, use imagery, metaphors, um, because God, uh, Jesus was speaking to uh, predominantly agricultural context in the Bible. It's quite often agricultural metaphors like we have uh, in today's uh, passage. It's interesting also that all seem to start with a similar beginning, and we had it in today's parable as well. So the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. And why is this, I wonder? I think the reason is really from the outset that God wants to say that the reason he's telling these stories is, to, is that he has an eternal message uh, within these parables. He has a, ma- a message which touches on the kingdom of God. So let's uh, turn uh, to consider today's parable, the parable of the vineyard, in a little bit more detail. Uh, In short, uh, what we have here is an employer uh, who, at relatively short notice, is requiring labor, uh, requiring uh, workers in his vineyard. He agrees to pay the first worker uh, his wage and then proceeds to employ others. So some work a full 12-hour shift, a full day shift. Some work nine hours, some six, some three and uh, some, even at the end, just work one hour. And the real twist in this story is that regardless of how long the laborers worked, they all ended up getting paid the same. So in very human terms, we might be scratching our heads at this a little bit. We might 
see the unfairness that maybe lies here. It doesn't really fit with our understanding of work hard and get paid for the work that you've done. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking about this sermon, I've been pondering various moments in my own life where I have been a victim of such injustice uh, as this. And for a strange reason, I don't quite know why, my thoughts have been drawn to when I was in primary six. So I was like 10 or 11 years old at that point, and our class was doing a class project looking at space. So it was very, very exciting. I see some nods from Jordan there, loving it, yeah. <laughs> so we were looking at space. Um, I was part of a team, a team of four that was tasked to present on the planet Saturn. So I was absolutely loving this. Uh, I took a lead in the group and even came up with a little theme song for our team as well. I'm not gonna sing it now. Uh, I did lots of research into the size of the planet, into what the planet was made of, particularly what the rings were made of as well, because that's quite a distinguishing feature of Saturn. Uh, we even made a scale model of Saturn uh, and painted it, nice greeny colors, and then got some see-through paper uh, to make the rings. It was cool. It was good. So what I haven't shared yet is that within our group of four, we had quite a number of slackers uh, in our group. Honestly, I hate those people. <laughs> people who did nowhere near the amount of work that I did in this task. So despite this, the presentation came and we managed to get through it all right, surprisingly. In fact, the teacher loved it. Uh, and she proceeded to tell all the other members of the group how much she loved the things that I had come up with. And not once did she congratulate me, uh, other than when she collectively congratulated uh, our group at the end. So although this is a really stupid and trivial example, um, perhaps some of you can think in moments in your own life uh, like this. Perhaps it's moments when you felt you have worked a lot harder than someone else and haven't been given the appropriate recognition. Perhaps it's a situation where you managed to get a lot more work done than one of your colleagues at work. Perhaps it's a moment, if you're a Christian, in your uh, Christian life and service where you feel you've done so much and you feel completely drained. So some of these things might resonate. However, what we need to remember about this parable and about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of man. It's not based on human ideals. It's not based on self-gratification and self-interest. It is an upside-down kingdom, as, where, as we've heard today in our reading, the last will be first, and the first will be last. So with that in mind, let's turn to consider what can be grasped of this upside-down kingdom from the perspective of the parable of the vineyard, a kingdom where grace and acceptance trumps achievement and exclusivity. So in certain parables, when you read them, there is an immediate explanation of what those parables are afterwards. In fact, the first sermon of this series, uh, Dave, our rector, 
had the easy task of preaching on one of those uh, parables that had the answers right after it. Um, so in certain parables we have that, and certain, certain ones we don't. Um, so forgive me if this is maybe a little bit basic, but I think it might be helpful for us all uh, just to consider what uh, some of the images represent in, in this parable uh, this morning. So firstly, we have a vineyard. It's the parable of the vineyard. Uh, so to understand its significance, we need to look a little bit at Israel's context in that time. Uh, grapes were one of Israel's most important crops and commodities. Uh, therefore, Israel was often referred to as the vine uh, or the vineyard. Uh, in fact, in the chapter after our passage today, there's two other parables that pick up on this imagery of the vineyard. And also in John's gospel, Jesus um, says that I am the vine. So it's a, it's a theme that com we come to a number of times in scripture. So what we can understand of it is that the vineyard represents the activity of the kingdom in this world, in the, in the vineyard, as it were. The landowner, uh, probably not surprisingly, the landowner represents God in this parable. Um, the landowner comes to the marketplace. What does the marketplace represent? It represents a very ordinary place of gathering in the middle of a town or, or a city. Um, the landowner engages with the workers. Uh, in biblical times, this referred to the Jews and the Gentiles uh, that made up Israel. Uh, but now, as we read this in the 21st century, uh, as God's people, we can read this as uh, referring to us. The work, I've touched on this already, is really representative of the work of the kingdom. And the pay, uh, so in our parable, he was, the workers were paid a denarius. Um, really what this represents is not monetary reward uh, for us, but instead it's the reward of salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, communion we have with him, and the invitation to join God in his vineyard. So with that understanding in mind, and I want to share three uh, reflections on the text and its relevance to us today here in Edinburgh. Um, I'm going to do this under three headings, uh, and when I told my wife uh, about this earlier in the week, uh, she laughed at me. Uh, the main reason she laughed at me is because they are remarkably similar headings than when I last preached here about three months ago on, uh, on a chapter in Exodus. Um, and I'm not a one-trick trick pony. Uh, I don't stand on a soapbox. Uh, but instead, what I really feel God is wanting to say is a really, really strong message in the Bible, hence why I've mentioned it before. And it's this, it's three headings. So God meets us where we are. God graciously invites us to put our faith in him. And God still gives us work to do. So turning to the first of these, uh, so God meets us where we are. In, in the passage we've read, in verse 1, we read that a landowner went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Where did he go? Uh, in verse 3, uh, we read that he went to the marketplace to do this. 
Now, the marketplace is frequently referred to in the Bible. Uh, so as a little, uh, a couple of examples of this, uh, it, the marketplace was a place where Old Testament prophets rebuked traders for fixing scales for their own gain. It was a marketplace within the temple where Jesus flipped over tables in frustration at their lack of reverency uh, in, in the temple. The marketplace is a place where the apostle Paul uh, came alongside those in Athens to reason with them and to share about the good news of Jesus. So what is so significant about the marketplace? I believe that the significance of the marketplace is that it is simply where the people were. And similarly, the significance today uh, of places where we are, where we gather. In Jewish culture, it was where trading happened. It was where children played. It was where people discussed the matters of the day. I was involved in an event uh, in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago called Q Commons. I was involved in hosting it and organizing it. And this is really an event that gathers Christians from across Edinburgh uh, together to discuss how do we engage in our city? How do we meaningfully get involved in uh, aspects of our society that are good, the, the common good? How do we serve our city? And as part of this, when I was organizing the tables for this event, I decided to make them themed tables. Uh, and the themes were named after common meeting places in Edinburgh. So we had Prince's Street Gardens, we had the Grass Market, we had Waverley Station, we had Murrayfield, we had Saint, the St. James's Center, uh, we had many more. Uh, and in preparing for this sermon over the last couple of weeks, it kind of dawned on me that it's these places that are the contemporary equivalents of the marketplace in Jesus' day. It's these places that God was connecting uh, with people through his followers. So this begs the question, I wonder if God is still meeting his people in these places today. And I think, I believe he does, um, but maybe the question is, do we recognize him in these places? In the busyness uh, of this marketplace setting that we see in the parable, in the busyness of our lives, comings and goings, doing goodness knows what number of things at once, do we recognize God calling us to stop and follow him, to do his work of the kingdom? to join him in the vineyard. In all honesty, I'll put my hands up and I say I often do not recognize God in these places. For example, when I'm in Waverley Station, the last thing I want to do is stop when I'm no doubt in a last minute dash to get to my train. And if anyone stops me, something bad is gonna happen, I think, in that scenario. So as the landowner, approached the workers in the marketplace, so God approaches us today in our places of gathering. In this gathering today, this morning, in the gathering in the pub when we go and watch the rugby later to see Scotland win uh, the rugby, James. 
hopefully. <laughs> God is with us in those places. Are we willing to meet with him? So secondly, uh, God graciously invites us to put our faith in him. Turning again to the passage, we can read in verses 2 and 7 uh, that the landowner invites five groups or five waves of people uh, into work uh, in his vineyard. He agrees a salary with the first and the others follow. Uh, in verses 8 to 10, uh, we see that the workers are paid the same amount, as I said at the start, the, the twist. So as we've already considered, this might be unfair in our eyes, but remembering that parables, these stories, point to an altogether different kingdom, a kingdom of God. What on earth does this uh, tell us about the kingdom of God and what it means? The simple truth is that this parable tells us that the kingdom of God is open to anyone and to everyone. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, regardless of who you associate with, the kingdom of God is for everyone and it's open to us today. It's a kingdom of unconditional love and acceptance where people receive the same rewards and that is salvation in Christ Jesus. So despite the grumblings of the workers and, if truth be told, us at times, we need to remember that Christ has graciously invited us in and we are to put our faith and trust in him. There are many examples of this in the Bible, the call that we are to put our faith in God rather than in our own efforts. So maybe in doing that, turn with me to Galatians 3. Uh, if you have the church Bibles, it's uh, 1169, the page number. And here the Apostle Paul uh, particularly hits home the point in speaking to the people of Galatia. Uh, who were all about doing things in their own strength and for their own gratification uh, and to be recognized by various people. So Paul was speaking uh, to these people. And chapter 3, uh, starting at 1 and verse 1, reading through to verse 5, Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you the spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And later in that same chapter, in verses 26 to 29, we read the familiar words that really underline the point that the kingdom of God is for everyone not just people who achieve or 
or have that uh, class. We read in verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all the children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So as the landowner invites the workers into the vineyard and graciously provides for them, God invites us to put our faith in him and to trust him. For some of you, you might have taken that step a long time ago, uh, but still you perhaps feel that you're chasing your tail a bit or maybe comparing yourself to others, your heroes of, of the faith or even other people in this church. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is found in faith in Jesus. For some of you, might, you might never have accepted the gift of Jesus and the acceptance that is found in him. If that's you, myself, or James, or any of the prayer team, would love to pray with you after the service and to chat to you more about that. So now it's quite tempting uh, to just leave it there, uh, that God calls his people to have faith and not to think much about actually what living faith out looks like in practice. Don't get me wrong, I fully believe that we are brought into relationship with God through faith alone. However, I also believe that we, if we are Christians, have work to do for the kingdom. And that brings us on to our final heading. So God still gives us work to do. The parable tells us that the owner of the vineyard hires workers to work in the vineyard. Despite the reward from the landowner being the same, for all, he still asks them to work. So what does this bit of the parable tell us about the kingdom of God? If we have met with God and accepted his invitation of grace, are we simply to put our feet up and wait until he comes again or until we die and go and be with him? No, and that is not the message of the Bible. It's not the message of this parable today. God calls us to work for and to usher in the kingdom of God. The author and self-proclaimed ragamuffin, Brennan Manning, uh, once wrote, the greatest cause of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. The author and church pastor, Tim Keller, provides in his book, Generous Justice, that we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Again, this is a message that we have throughout the Bible, as well as from these uh, well-regarded authors. So turn with me again to the book of James, 
and we'll be reading uh, from chapter 2, verse 14. So again, that is page 1214 of the Church Bibles. So chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Uh, through to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So the call to kingdom work is certainly present in today's parable and also in this message of James. But what should it look like? This past week, I have been uh, deeply um, moved and challenged by the life of St. Cuthbert. Uh, I don't know if uh, early church saints are mentioned much in P's and G's. I don't, since Vanessa left, probably not. Um, But I'm going to mention a little bit about St. Cuthbert today, just really in coming alongside this idea of what should kingdom living actually look like. As some of you know, I work for International Justice Mission, and IJM is a partner, uh, one of the global mission partners of P's and G's. And as part of uh, my job and as part of the spiritual rhythms of my job, I'm privileged to get an annual day of solitude, um, which is really a day away from emails, away from meetings, away from the general stress of work, to recalibrate myself and to refocus on God and the calling that he has placed on my life. So as part of my annual day of solitude, Uh, I went uh, this past week to the holy island of Lindisfarne, Uh, and I don't know how many people have been there, but if you have not been there, you must go. It is absolutely stunning, beautiful place. It's truly a thin place, uh, as as the Celtic uh, Christians would say. It's a place where you can feel God's presence. Uh, It was perhaps helped by the fact that it was sunny and blue skies, but... Try, try and get it on that day and, and you'll be fine. Um, so when I was on the island, I picked up this little pamphlet in the church, um, and it's all about St. Cuthbert, and I used it as a bit of a reflection tool for me when I was exploring around the beaches and the, the sites of interest uh, there. So for those of you that don't know, uh, St. Cuthbert uh, lived in 635 AD and died in 687. And he spent most of his life on Lindisfarne, uh, living as a prior, as a hermit, uh, and uh, a bishop for a short time before then returning to life as a hermit. The pamphlet tells us some of the usual wacky things that the early church saints uh, got up to. Uh, For example, uh, we found him hungry and in a barn, uh, so he found a loaf of bread in the hay, broke it and shared it with his horse. Another example, he stood in the sea all night and he prayed. 
Another example, he played with otters as they came up to say hello to him. When he was a hermit on one of the Farne Islands off Lindisfarne, he spoke to ducks, eider ducks in particular. So, however, jokes aside, it also portrays a man who was truly living a life centered on God and his kingdom. So what am I saying about this? I'm not saying that we should all become hermits and live on an island by ourselves. Don't, don't worry. Um, but certainly taking note of some of the spiritual rhythms that St. Cuthbert had in his life is something that I think can only serve us well in our personal walk with God, but also, more importantly, serve the kingdom of God well. He was an evangelist. He was passionate about sharing God's love with others and telling them about Jesus. He was committed to prayer. At times, he even chose prayer over sleep. He studied the scriptures. He spent time working out what the passages were saying to him and what its relevance was to the kingdom and the world around him. He was open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He practiced silence and solitude. He was a man to be, sorry, he was known to be a man of wide and deep compassion, coming alongside the sick and the needy. Again, I'm not suggesting that we go to the extent that St. Cuthbert did in all of these areas. But instead, what I'm suggesting is that perhaps we might want to particularly focus on one of these aspects of spiritual discipline in the coming week. Perhaps you want to be more intentional about sharing with your colleagues about Jesus and about the love uh, that he has for us, this unconditional love. Perhaps you want to set aside time in your day to be committed to prayer rather than saying it in the two minutes that you remember it uh, in the madness uh, of most of our days. Perhaps you want to set aside time to dig into God's word and study what it says. Perhaps you want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a more tangible way and allow space for that to happen. Perhaps you want to find solitude away from the busyness of life, to reflect and recalibrate on God. Perhaps you want to respond uh, by reaching out a hand of compassion uh, to those that we see in our city who are desperately in need of it. So I want to finish by reading you the final paragraph of this short pamphlet. And it's, it's well worth a read. I imagine it's probably online. Uh, so do, do search it there. The final paragraph says, this was the real Cuthbert. As his friends knew him and have passed their knowledge down to us. A man who was outstanding first in his love for God and determination to live for him and do his will. An outstanding second as a man whose love overflowed into a concern for other people in all their needs and flowed over yet again into the care for other creatures. Can 1,300 years dull the challenge of such a life? The message of the parable of the vineyard is one whereby God meets us where we are. 
he graciously invites us to put our trust in him. And in response to this act of love, we, we the church, we God's people, are called to join him in the vineyard to usher in the kingdom of God. Let's pray as we close.